You know, sometimes a life is hard because we're not living in obedience. We're living outside of obedience and life is hard. And we've all experienced that. And God usually is trying to get our attention by telling us to live inside obedience. But then there are other times that we are being obedient. And we're living inside obedience. And we're doing exactly what God wants us to do. And it's still hard. And, and that can be a frustration at times. And at that moment, sometimes, instead of saying, okay, God, how are you going to be the God of promise in the midst of me trying to be obedient? We just get frustrated. Have you ever gotten frustrated? You're like, come on, God. I have been working so hard to be obedient. I am more obedient than most people I know. And I looked on Facebook, and it seems to be going okay for them, and it's not going okay for me. Or I got together with somebody, and it seemed to be, why? Do I have some kind of weird magnet on me, and I'm attracting this stuff? Why? And sometimes it's really, really frustrating, isn't it? That's where we find the story today. We're learning from the life of Abram in the book of Genesis, and we're in chapter 13 today, and we did the first couple verses of chapter 13 of Genesis last week, but uh, let's go back to where we ended, because that's where we're going to start today. Abram had fled the land of promise to Egypt and created some very interesting promises. You might want to read that or maybe even pull up the sermon podcast from last week. But at the end of it, he decided it was time to reset. And so we went back to where he started. Now, it's interesting that it talks about when he went there that he was now a person of wealth. Okay, he had a lot of stuff. Now, Abraham was very rich in livestock, in silver, and in gold. And he journeyed on from Negev as far as Bethel to the place where his tent had been at the beginning between Bethel and Ai. That's where he had started his journey. Remember? Well, let's remember why he went there. He went there, and to that place he made an altar at first, and there Abram called upon the name of the Lord. So he went back to where he started, and we said that there are times that we need to go back to the altar. We need to go back to where we started. But why did he go there to start with? Well, if we read back in chapter 12, it says this, God said to Abram, go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. And then he made several promises to him. These are things God was going to do. I will make you a great nation. I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and he who dishonors you, I will curse. And in you, all the families of the earth will be blessed. So God made four promises. The promises are, I'm going to give you a place. I'm going to make you a people. I'm going, to be, I'm going to make you a blessing, 
and I am going to protect you. And Abram got in trouble because he tried to take care of those things on his own, right? That's what we saw in the middle of chapter 12. And so he went back. He reset his life. And, and we have to do that sometimes, don't we? All of a sudden we realize we're off track and God, in his loving way, does this to the GPS of our hearts. He goes, recalculating. And he calls us back to the Bethel, which interestingly means the house of the Lord. Isn't that interesting? That's what Bethel means. He calls us back. But I said sometimes even when we're back where we're supposed to be, we have drama. Sometimes we have drama because we're not there. And then sometimes we're there and we still have drama. So we read on. Verse 5, it says, And Lot, who went with Abraham, also had flocks and herds and tents. Now, I want to remind you who Lot was. Lot is Abram's nephew. And when his father, okay, when, when Abram's father left Ur, he took Abram and his wife Sarah and Lot with them. And we know that he died in this place called Haran, right? And then we find out that Abram, when he left, he had now his father's responsibility. And so he took his nephew with him. And when they went back to the land of Canaan, with all the wealth that they both had, they had an issue. The reason people live in North Dakota today is because there was problems in Minnesota. And the reason that people live in Minnesota is there was problems in Ohio and Indiana. There were too many farmers, and so they kept on moving. And then they ended up in North Dakota, which is like... Amazingly, amazingly <laughs> big. And uh, they were there because they couldn't be in Minnesota and they couldn't be in Indiana and they couldn't be Ohio. Because there was overgrazing issues. And, you know, you know, it's really interesting because God almost before we came here, we interviewed in Lancaster, Pennsylvania, in that area. And I was talking to Scott about this yesterday, and I looked at Nancy when we were there, and I said, I don't think I can live here. Because although it's rural, it's just too congested. It's too close together. The farms are too close together. Everything, I feel like I got to walk around like this here. I don't think I could do it, because see, I'm from the land of vast spaces. And Abram had a problem. Lot had a problem. They were trying to fit too much on their little postage stamp. And because of that, it says they had an issue. And there was strife between the herdsmen of Abram's livestock and the herdsmen of Lot's livestock. And then at the end it says, at that time the Canaanites and the Pizzerites were dwelling in the land. You know, here's the interesting thing about strife. Usually it's not even the main people that have the problem, but it's people that are connected to the people, okay? So it was the herdsmen that weren't getting along, okay? 
And it seems that whenever we have strife, there's an audience, isn't there? And the Pizzarites and the Canaanites were the audience. They also lived there. And there was drama. And I don't know what Abram did. If I were Abram, I would have went to the Lord and I said, look, I'm where I'm supposed to be. I'm doing what I'm supposed to be. Isn't it supposed to get easy now? You said you would bless me and that you would take care of me. Wait, you said that you would curse my enemies. Does that mean I get to take out Lot and his family? You know, sometimes we get this postcard in our mind about how it's supposed to look. Have you ever seen the postcards of Lake Placid? You know, they're beautiful postcards. Is that how it always looks here? No. I used to live in Florida. There's all kinds of beautiful postcards in Florida at the beach. First of all, the beach smells like death. I don't know if you've ever thought about it, but it, and there's death everywhere. There's a, there's a dead fish over here, and there's a dead clam over there, and everybody's, and everybody's like, they're going in search of death. I don't know if you realize that, but that's basically, if you're collecting seashells, you are collecting the carcasses of dead things, you know? And everybody talks about how great it is, and you have this little postcard, and there's a starfish on it, and, you know, and a conch shell. But then you go there and you go to the beach and it's hot and the sand gets places you don't want it to get. And it's not like the postcard. So when he was headed back to Bethel, he had a postcard of what it was going to be like. And there's going to be, and it wasn't like the postcard. And not only that, but he was having problems in the family and the neighbors were hearing about it. The Pizzarites and the Canaanites, they were seeing what was going on. Sometimes instead of going to God for the solution, we just complain. Have you noticed that? I don't like it this way. What were you thinking? What's going on? But, but Abram was not only living in a place of promise, but he was supposed to be a person of promise. And he had learned some hard lessons when he was in Egypt. And so I think all of a sudden he started realizing he had to ask a question. I know there's strife, but how am I supposed to be a blessing? How am I supposed to do that? What is that supposed to look like? What have you promised me? What am I supposed to be doing? Abram pursues blessing. Then Abram said to Lot, Let there be no swipe between you and me, between your herdsmen and my herdsmen, for we are kinsmen. You know, sometimes we've just got to say, Hey, wait, wait a minute here. You're, you're, you're talking about drama here, but we are God's family, and there is supposed to be peace here. And so Abram took the lead. And when he took the lead, this is what he said. Is not the whole land before you? Separate yourself from me. And if you take the left hand, I will go to the right. And if you take the right hand, then I will go to the left. Sometimes 
You have to figure out what the solution is. And Abraham figured out that the best solution was that we overcome overcrowding. That's why people live in North Dakota. 630,000 people overcame overcrowding. The state of North Dakota has 135 highway patrolmen for the whole state. That's what happens when you overcome overcrowding. There are only probably 15 Walmarts in all of North Dakota. That's what happens when you overcome overcrowding. And that's what he said. Now, they're in an interesting situation here because, you know, Abram is the head of his family and Lot is the nephew. And I think what Abram has offered is wonderful. Now, I would think that there's supposed to be some decorum or something. And so if Lot is going to be the kind of man that probably he should be, he should probably look at his uncle and say, what? You go first. You know, there were probably some manners in this. And if you read about Middle Eastern culture, you're going to realize that there definitely is a sense that you honor the elderly and you, and you, you acquiesce to their desires. There's also a, a strong culture of taking care of even the, the, the um, alien in your area. They, they really take care of one another. So how does Lot respond? Lot hears what he says. Oh, but first, I think this is also interesting because let's go back to that blessing in chapter 2. Listen to what God asked him to do. Now the Lord said to Abraham, go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. You see, I think that part of the reason they were having the problem now is because Abraham didn't completely listen to the instructions at the beginning. Because if Lot wasn't there, Lot probably wouldn't be a problem. Isn't that interesting? Occasionally we have to think and we have to ask the Lord, God, was I completely obedient here or just kind of obedient here? Did I completely hear what you said or did just I kind of hear what you said? As a parent, you know all about this, don't you? Occasionally you say, this is what I want you to do and you get home and it's kind of done, right? Or occasionally you'll ask somebody to do something for you and they'll say, I did it for you and you look at it and you're going, I'm not sure that's exactly what I asked you to do. Thank you for kind of doing that for me, right? So it's interesting that that is a part of the promise. You know, a part of the instruction. But let's see how Lot responds. And Lot lifted up his eyes, and he saw the Jordan Valley was well watered, where like, it was like the garden of the Lord, like the land of Egypt in the direction of Zor. Okay, so I want you to kind of visualize what's going on here. Um, when, when I went to Israel, probably one of the most important resources that I brought back is I have this little map hanging in my office next to a picture of Jerusalem that Nancy got me. And it's a topographical map of Israel. And um, 
So he's in Bethel, okay? That's about 15 miles from Jerusalem. So he's up in the mountains, okay? So they, let's just say that when this takes place and he has this conversation, they're at a high peak near Lake Champlain, okay? So let's say that we're on a high peak so we can see all of Lake Champlain and, you know, and all the lushness of Champlain. And that's kind of the situation that, that we're in here. Except for where they are, they're on top of this mountain in this mountainous range. And over here you see the Valley of Jordan. Now it's interesting that this area now is a little bit more deserty than lush. But it must have been less because the way it's described is it was like the Garden of Eden. Or it would have been like the Delta of the Nile where they went when they were hungry. That's where Zeor is, is, is just like that place at the other end of the Dead Sea, right where you come into the lushness that is Israel, Egypt. And Lot looks that direction as he stands in the mountain and he sees all of it and he thinks about his herds and everything and he makes an impulsive decision. He, he doesn't say, oh, Abram, you're, you're really the head of the household. You've just drugged me along on this trip, so I, I, whatever you want is okay with me. No. He picks the place that in his mind at that moment. Now, he didn't do even what maybe he should have. He's saying, okay, okay Abram, can I, can I have a couple weeks? I kind of want to take a little bit of a journey. I want to check out the real estate. want to figure out where I want to go. No, it says, and he lifted his eyes and he saw Lake Champlain, the valley there, and he says, that's what I want. He made an impulsive decision. Now, when we make choices... There's consequences, but look at the choices that they meant for him. This was before the Lord destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah. Now, why is he saying that? Because down in this valley, we don't know, we're not sure where is where Sodom and Gomorrah is. Okay, we're going to find out a little bit about Sodom and Gomorrah. Now, now some guys are going to preach at this point and say, now he knew what he was getting into, and he just ran towards sin. We don't know that. We can't say that. But we can say that he made an impulsive decision. And he went to the valley. And the valley was the home of Sodom and Gomorrah. Now we know the name Sodom and Gomorrah. We'll, we'll read about it more in a couple weeks. But choices have consequences. So Lot chose for himself all the Jordan Valley and Lot journeyed east. Thus they were separated from each other. Abraham settled in the land of Canaan. So Abraham stays in Canaan and Lot exits Canaan, which I think is interesting. You know, it's kind of like Lot went to Vermont instead of staying in New York. I'm not going to say New York is a promised land. I'm not sure that's fair. But I am saying that Lot went to Vermont, Okay. And then it says, while Lot settled among the cities of the valley, he moved his tent as far as Sodom. And so it says that he started in the valley somewhere. Some people think Sodom is kind of in the middle. We don't know for sure where Sodom is because it was kind of destroyed. We'll talk about that in a couple weeks. Some people think it's at the end of the Dead Sea. But all we know is that he started out 
heading that direction. And I'm thinking the longer he lived there, he knew what he was getting into, but he kept impulsively moving toward what looked more attractive. Verse 13 tells us, Now the men of Sodom were wicked, great sinners against the Lord. What an interesting picture. Have you noticed that when people make poor choices, they make more poor choices? Have you noticed that when people start making compromise, they make more compromise? Have you noticed that? Starts with, oh, it's not that big a deal. It's not that big a deal. It's going to work out. It looks okay. I'll be okay. And little by little, we keep on heading in a direction. That's how compromise works. It's about little things. So at the same time that Lot is doing this in verse 14, it says this, the Lord said to Abram after Lot had separated from him. And, you know, so Abram has made this decision. And I think this is interesting because we don't have this whole idea of that he fasted for 40 days and we don't have that idea. We, we sense that he is in the place that God wants him. And so then the decisions he makes in the place that God wants him usually can be good decisions. You know, some people say, what is the will of God to me often? And I, I'll say this, it's for you to be obedient. Well, is there always one thing God wants me to do? I said, no, I don't think it works that way. I think that sometimes when we are living a life of obedience, God may actually give us a menu and say, you get to choose shrimp or steak, you know, or he says, or you can have shrimp and steak. I think that there is a reality that we need to understand that God's will is for us to trust Him and live in obedience. And when we're doing that, there's always going to be choices. You know, people say, is there just one person that I'm going to marry? No, but I think if you're making good choices, the people that come into the periphery of your life that are running after Jesus like you are going to end up being the right people. Well, is there just one person out there for me? I don't know. There will end up being one person for you. That's kind of how it's supposed to work. But I don't think you have to go looking for the one. I think you have to pursue the one. And in the process of that, you'll find the one. I think that's how it works. I think in most of our life, what we're going to find is if we're running after Jesus, we're going to find there's other people running after him too. And we get to run with them. That's how it kind of works. So God speaks again to Abraham, and God expands his promise of place. He says, lift up your eyes and look from the place where you are, northward, southward, eastward, and westward. For all the land that you see, I will give you and your offspring. So instead of just having this little area, in some respects it's kind of funny because he's probably standing pretty close to the place where Lot picked Lake Champlain. And what did God say? Everywhere you look, I'm going to give it to your family. So you get back Lot's land. Because I'm giving you everything. 
God expands his promise from, from last chapter to this chapter. And he says, the place that you give me is going to be expansive. In fact, he, gives them, he expands the promise of people. He says, I will make your offspring as the dust of the earth. So that if one can count the dust of the earth, your offspring can also be counted. This is a pretty interesting promise for a barren couple, isn't it? Before him, he just said, I will make you a people. And now he says, I want to make you a lot of people. Beyond your imagination. I'm going to do this thing. You see, Abram was living in obedience and he was living out the details of his obedience and all of a sudden God's saying, I'm going to bless you beyond what you can imagine. In the prayer time this morning, one of the things that I prayed was, dear God, I thank you that you bless us beyond what we can imagine. That we aren't limited in the blessing that you give us by what we think. That would be kind of scary, isn't it? We'd be living in a really narrow black and white little world, wouldn't we? But God colors, and he colors outside of the lines of our experience to give us something greater than what we can think of. Then he says, arise, walk through the length and breadth of the land, for I will give it to you. He says, go explore. Go see what I'm going to give you. Go through the land. Go. First he told him to go what? To the land. Now he says, I want you to go inside the land. I want you to experience and see all that I'm going to give you and all that is going to be yours. That must have been kind of fun. Hey, Sarah, you see that spring over there? That's ours too. Hey, you see that mountain over there? That's ours too. That's our kids. Look at the inheritance that God's given us. Come on. Oh, now we're on the other mountain? Look it! Look at what God gave us over there. The Sea of Galilee is ours. We didn't even know it was there. Isn't this amazing? And so in the midst of all this, 